0: Welcome to Better Relationships, Better Life, where relationships expert Judy K. Herman and her guests share insights that can help you move through conflicts in your 9 to 5 jobs and your 24 7 lives. Crack the clarity code and create deeper connections beyond the messiness of relationships. Here's your host, Judy K. Herman.
1: John Register and his daughter Ashley Register share with us what it means to stand up for what's right and being brave, even when no one is looking. This is part one of a two part series. Let's listen into this inspirational story about how to amputate fear in parenting and family life. All right, I am so excited to introduce you to John and Ashley. Thanks so much you two for being here on the show. And this is a father-daughter duo. This is the first time we've had a father-daughter duo on Better Relationships Better Life, and they are known for their commitment to being an inspiration and using each day to awake to learning. A family with values to stand up for what's right and being brave even when no one is looking. They are teaming up to share their powerful perspectives through conversations that matter. And we get to tune into that today. So daughter Ashley, actually, I, I need to tell folks, I met both John and Ashley a, a few weeks ago. We had lunch together in Atlanta. And so da- Ashley, Ashley Register, you're a, a University of Northern colorado alumna is she is dedicated and seasoned event planning professional as well as a singer and songwriter among our many talents and skill sets currently serving as event manager for the western company in atlanta georgia and father john register is a silver medalist two-time two-sport paralympic athlete two-time olympic trials qualifier combat army veteran amputee and the founder of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee's now defunct Paralympic military sports program. Register uses his life experience as an inspirational speaker to inspire people to hurdle adversity. And that's exactly actually what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about how to amputate fear in parenting and family life. So thank you so much, John and Ashley, for being here.
0: Thank you, Judy. Happy to to, uh, speak with your audience today.
2: Yes, thank you so much for having us. My
0: pleasure. So, John, why don't you share with us your journey
1: from becoming an amputee while training for the Olympics?
0: Sure. I was a four-time track and field All-American at the University of Arkansas. Go Pigs. uh, (laughs) And um, went to the United States Army, enlisted, to continue to run track and field. The Army has an Army World-Class Athlete Program, which allows a soldier athlete to train two or three years prior to the next Olympic Games as part of the United States Army. On my way to the Olympic trials, uh, I wound up being called up to Operation Desert Shield, Desert Storm. So I was diverted, even though I did compete in the trials, but I was diverted to that uh, the, the, the war and came back a combat veteran without a scratch. And then during my training session for my third Olympic trials in the four-meter hurdles, I missed up a hurdle. I dislocated my left knee upon landing, severed the artery behind the kneecap, and then seven days later became an amputee. Uh, you can imagine I was in, a, in a kind of a downward spiral, but it was my mm. wife, Alice, who said, you know what, John, we're going to get through this together. It's just our new normal.
1: Mm. And
0: from there, we retooled, repurposed. I got out of the military. And seven years later, had I had gone to two paralympic games and then won the silver medal in the long jump in sydney australia so that's kind of my journey to that point and then other things came on later to leave a legacy for others that were kind of in my likeness um so for example the paralympic military sport program that you spoke about that came later and really shifted the United States military and how we honor those that have served by still keeping them on active duty service. And we expanded the Army's world-class athlete program to actually have people with disabilities or soldiers that have been wounded or injured in, in combat to continue on active duty for that world-class athlete program so that we uh, honor their, their service and their value to our, to our country.
1: Wow. Well, I I was so inspired, John and Ashley, that both of you were there in Georgia when I was at the uh, chapter meeting for our National Speaker Association, and John was a speaker. So, uh, and just meeting Ashley there, and then we had lunch together. It was really cool. I was definitely so inspired by your message. So I can't hear from, I can't wait, though, Ashley, to hear from you, because I want to know, we want to know about Ashley and you're i found out i think you're the youngest daughter right of, of yes. the family right so how many brothers and sisters do you have
2: i uh, have two older brothers yeah. okay one is 33 and the other one is 36
1: 37 so was this uh your dad going through all of this that was before you were born right yeah. okay gotcha all right go ahead and share share with us about you
2: Um, so yeah, I have only known my dad as an amputee. Um, so growing up and hearing his story, he's always been my hero. And I've always looked at him as like this, you know, Superman kind of guy and, um, just throughout our family life. And I had a pretty good childhood. We, um, did a lot of things as a family. Um, I think growing up as the youngest sibling, um, obviously like I got a lot of attention. Um, but I think also my parents were in a space where they had gone through this a couple of times and. Um, there were different things that they did with me um, that I think really helped um, and really stood out stood out in my childhood um, and growing up with older brothers um, it really matured me a lot faster than um, my peers also my mom drove the school bus when I was a toddler so I was around older high school kids literally all the time and then my, my brothers would come home and they would also be older than me so I just developed skills at a, at a faster rate than my peers um, and I think my parents did a great job um, instilling family values in all of us um, and having a good strong foundation of just moral morals and values that we can live our life by live our lives by. Um, and going back to seeing my dad as, as the superhero Superman kind of guy, um, I had to come to the realization in my adulthood that our parents are also humans. Um, and they, <laughs> Absolutely. <you> know, <laughs> as Kids, but you realize growing up that, you know they're also human and they're going through life just like you are and they're trying to figure it out one day at a time just as you are and um, that's super important and I encourage everyone to to realize and, and to look at their parents as as humans because they are at the end of the day
1: that is great advice honestly I've had some young adults in my office in my counseling office and just really having a hard time, like when their parents are not the perfect or the ideal, you know, they change. <laughs> and yeah. so that's, that's a really good way and a mature way to to grow through that. You've got to be able to look at your, your children or your, your, your parents that way. So John, um, I'm curious how your, you know, your journey and what you've been through your professional life, your spiritual life and um how that has affected your parenting overall obviously you come ashley enters your life with a little bit you've got a little more experience under your belt right
0: yeah i I think there's experience there but every uh child is different every person is different and i think that is where we sometimes will miss it right because Mm -hmm. we start comparing what a previous experience was like for another person with this new person and we have to let that person just grow into who they're going to be and I think by the time Ashley came around at least for me I I was more more in alignment with allowing her to have the experiences that I know she needed to become that become the woman she is Uh, and I think that's the uh you know, you, you make your lumps and mistakes and everything on, on like, it was like John Jr. So, so John and he's, he's, he's spent, he's a phenomenal uh, young man. Right. And, and his own right. And, uh and's one of the most brilliant people I know. Now that's uh, you,
1: you're talking about your son,
0: I'm talking about my son, John Jr. And, yeah, yeah. and so he's the oldest. He is, this, he's the, he's the middle. So I have, so our family dynamic is that I had a, a, a child, Ron, who is the oldest, mm-hmm. but, He, he grew up kind of sporadically in our household because he was not from my wife and myself. We, we, we were married after he was born. And then, so John Jr. Is the one that has has grown up uh, in the household and he's the one that kind of has received all of this, you know, our, our mistakes and our successes. And, you know, as we are, we are supporting him and he's, he's a fantastic young man. And so is Ron as well. The oldest boy, Mm -hmm. um, but he, he, he just thinks different. He just, he, he, he's, he's a really great thinker. Uh, and then Ashley, you know, I, we, we tell this story you because know, Ashley alluded to her, her mom, Alice being a school bus driver because John came home because we didn't want, we we didn't want her growing up with like a babysitter or somebody else. We We knew that we wanted mom in the house mm-hmm. and I would go mm-hmm. out and I would, you know, be primary, for the for income mm-hmm. and she was going to be primary in the household for the raising the children and of course we, we those two amalgamate however mm-hmm. we knew we did not want someone else to raise ashley mm-hmm. and so when she took that job as a school bus driver think about that she's on with ashley in a car seat and at two years old three years old ashley is learning all the bus trips down downtown uh, because as because uh, john jr come back with his flyer to say school bus driver and they were making like 27 bucks an hour <laughs> they <That's were> making, <laughs> money yeah bus. yeah so um she would go down to museums in washington dc she would be around all the older kids and so they were always talking to her in a, in a kind of a higher language than mm. she was for her age and she was always elevating you know pretty pretty quickly uh, in, in that and so you know with other languages and things that just would come into her she was a part of that experience um, uh, during that that growth so I think you know the the benefit from my perspective for Ashley is she was able to have um, kind of not autonomy but she learned from kind of of what we wanted her to do be, to be as independent as as possible uh, and 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 invite her into her own experiences
1: yeah so what are some of those early experiences that you remember Ashley?
2: Oh going to the museums like like he mentioned um, I still to this day just love going to museums I could sit in the museum for hours and just read every single thing that's on um, you know like on display and I, I never really knew where that came from until you brought it up that we would go to the museums all the time um, living in Washington DC. Every weekend, my mom was packing a car up and we were heading into, you know, heading into the city to either go to a museum or go to the zoo. You know, everything is free there. So we were just, we were just going everywhere. Um, yeah. Just some you know, those, you know, experiences. Going to Sydney, Australia, the one thing that I remember is like getting in the car and being like, why is your steering wheel on that side? It's supposed to be on the other side. Like, <laughs> wrong side of the street. And that's the only thing that I remember from going to Sydney, which is actually pretty funny. <laughs> um, but growing up, yeah, I've had all these experiences. My dad took me to Paris when I was, uh, for my 10th birthday to their or 11th birthday. Um, oh, wow. That was an experience in itself. And to be able to say that I went to Paris so young and, and indulge in another culture um, is one of the reasons why I love to travel today. And I, and I love to travel because you can get outside of your, your world scope or, you know, the reality that you're in and just come back to yourself and realize hmm. that the world is much bigger than you so much bigger than your daily routine there's other cultures there's other people out here you know um experiencing life as well and um you know and embarking in those cultures and really indulging in those cultures is something that i really enjoy to do, really enjoy doing and i think that i kind of carry that into my day-to-day you know how i just interact with people and how i love to hear people's stories and and hear about you know the things in their family that that are like traditions or whatever experiences that they've had that has, have shaped them into the person that they are today. So, um, mm-hmm. I call up, you know, just having awesome parents obviously, but also having awesome experiences who have that are really just defined who I am and, and how I look at the world and how I view the world.
1: That's awesome. Well, let's, let's talk about like, okay, so the title of this is how to amputate fear and parenting and family life. Can you share any kind of experiences in which you've had some transitions and had to, to amputate fear? Because John, you have a remarkable story of experiencing that. And then how is that? Um, yeah, I wonder if you could kind of shift it to your family and, and share, share a, a story or an incident in which you've done that. Here's a quick pause for an important message. When it comes to workplace and personal relationships, many of these episodes give us insights into people skills, strategies, and creating a healthy work culture. As a speaker and retreat facilitator, I also support organizations and companies. Go to my media page, judyspeaker.com, to find out how I can help. And you can also connect with me on LinkedIn, Judy K. Herman. And now, back to our conversation. John, you have a remarkable story of experiencing that. And then how is that? Um, yeah. I wonder if you could kind of shift it to your family and, and share, share a, a story or an incident in which you've done that or you're faced with. Yeah. That, I,
0: I, I think you know, it's, it's great to kind of just put into the family context because we all, like Ashley was saying earlier, we all grow. And mm-hmm. one of the things when we had that, then my growth, um, had, I had to shift hats a couple of times. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is we had during the pandemic, the, the murder of George Floyd.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh,
0: and so during this time, and so my cousin is, had Derek Chauvin on his uh, police squads. Uh, mm-hmm. So, cause he's a police officer uh, used to be former now up, mm-hmm. up in Minneapolis. And so he was on home. He worked homicide and Derek worked on his squad. And so we have very close connections to the story that was going on. And Ashley uh, was leading one of the peaceful, one of the first peaceful protests that were going on in Denver, Colorado. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, no, Mm. because I'm seeing all these other th- stuffs going on, and and people that started off with these peaceful protests, and you have it turn ugly because you get agitators that come in there, uh, you get folks that just come in only because they see it, and they go start looting, and everybody gets, and the protesters get blamed for that stuff. So it's all these dynamics are are going on with this, and then police show up early, which was the case in in in, De- in Denver. So they they give them a time, just we want you all done by you know 10 o'clock p.m. And they start showing up at nine o'clock, right? So there are all these things that are going on in that stuff, and we know this is happening. So I was very concerned for we're mm-hmm. <laughs> actually leading this effort in mm-hmm. Denver. And she very sternly told me in those certain terms, I'm doing it. And wow. I had, and, and it was, it was the right call because our family has always been about supporting and activating. Uh, for others and justice and truth from her grandfather to her uncle who was in charge on the her great uncle who was in charge on the march on Washington who's in the African American History Museum who was the last person to see Medgar Evers alive mm. um you know the great civil rights leader that was in Mississippi who was murdered um to all these all these things that are going on in our household that w- we can't escape from and now she's at the time at the age that those individuals were advocating for others beyond themselves. Wow. And so I have to honor that. Uh, and so her mom and I went, uh, Ashley's mom and I went to go support her uh, in in the crowd. And they, I mean, I couldn't have been more proud wow. uh, with what she did and how they had lookouts Mm. for the officers who were coming in early when they told them they were going to come at 10 o'clock and they came at night. Say, so, hey, they're moving quick. We're going to disperse the crowd right now. We're going to get out. Don't engage with the police. We're just going to go home and thank you for support. It was amazing to see the control that those young folks had. And 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 I was just so proud of my daughter because she was one of the ones leading that effort.
1: Wow. Ashley, as you hear dad share this, what are you feeling?
2: Gratitude. <laughs> just yeah yeah um, overwhelmed with gratitude um mm-hmm. growing up we definitely learned about our history um as you as you know that we traveled a lot wherever you know as in my childhood and I remember specifically wherever we would go my mom would like make it a point that we had to learn a black history fact about you know the city or the town or wherever we were at um and there was this one time we were in Memphis, Tennessee, which is close to her hometown, um, and we went to a Underground Railroad safe haven house, um, and they took us downstairs into the cellar where slaves would hide out. You know, mm. give them the, the you know check to, to make sure that there wasn't any slaves hiding out, um, and it was completely dark. She asked everyone to stop talking, and just the the heaviness that was in the room was wow. there's there no words for it. It was life-changing and I always remember that moment. It's the moment that, you know, I, I really started to change the way that I thought about not only like civil rights in and, and Black history, but about how are we gonna move forward and what does that look like? Not only for my generation, but for, you know, generations to come because it's a it's an ongoing battle. Like, like you, um, like my dad mentioned, my grandfather and my great-grandfather have been in this fight, you know, generations before me and, I, and I'm sure it's gonna continue generations after me. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I also decided to minor in um, African American Studies when I went to the University of Northern Colorado, um, and that's why I met a, a great cohort of, of friends that helped me lead this protest down back in um, Colorado when George George Floyd um, was murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, through those experiences, um, I just you know came to realize that they they brought us up on, on certain values and morals, and it was kind of like. They were instilling these values and instilling these morals. And when it was time for me to actually stand up and, and stand on them and say, this is what you taught me. And this is what I have to go out there and do, because this is what we believe. I think that was kind of the reckoning moment where my dad and my mom realized that this is something that she has to do. It's, it's in her DNA. It's in her and wow. her kind of just fly and use her wings and whatever that looks like.
0: I want to kind of tag on to what she's saying, because I want your audience to really understand what the grab, what, what we're wrestling with here. Mm, mm-hmm. And because they, they may or may not know what, so, so I'm thinking in my mind, bullets, mm, I'm thinking mm-hmm. I have to let her go to do this, knowing she might not come back.
1: Wow. That's, I'm releasing that's huge, her John. That's huge. The, like, I can't imagine.
0: I'm releasing her to her what her the values that she has been brought up on, and knowing that those values may not have her come back or come back disfigured, or uh, anything that can happen that's out there with this hyped up super um mm. super hyped situation that is is, is going on. I, I remember doing a presentation. And I was trying to get, a woman came up to me and she was talking about her children had kind of disowned them. I was Mm. like, how how does that even work? But it was was around this issue, right, of George Mm -hmm. Floyd. It was specifically Mm -hmm. with George Floyd. Mm -hmm. So I never give people the answer ever in a presentation. I let them do self-discovery, but the breadcrumbs I was leaving for her was, well, what happened?
1: Mm.
0: And so it was, oh, the protesters were. I said, well, no, well, why were the protesters there? Oh, because of the um the um the looters. And so it was all these things that were skirting the issue of why people were protesting, not in the U- United States, but around the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she couldn't get there just to say. The person that we confide trust in, the police force, my cousin, Mm. and the people that he's with, one of the individuals that was part of his network inside of that murdered Mm. a citizen no due process of the law Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and did so with such calmness. That nothing mm. will happen to me. Mm. That it sent shockwaves around the world and she couldn't get there to that. And that is where what Ashley's talking about. That's what we're all talking about. It's not like we all know every life matters, but when a house mm-hmm. is on fire and this person is being murdered in front of you, does that one matter? Mm-hmm. It sure doesn't seem like it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So that's what we're talking about. And we got to cut through that And Mm -hmm. it's very, it's very difficult. And that's what goes into my speeches on making when our truth capital T outweighs our fear, Mm. we will commit to courageous acts. And that's why it is. (laughs) That's why the presentations, it's not about others.
2: It's not about
0: left versus right. It's about what do you do? How do Mm. you show up? And that's a value that we instill in our family. And it's, it's, people run from that. They do not want to be held accountable.
1: (laughs) Wow. Well, Ashley, what was it, how, how was your, your fear meter, so to speak, from maybe a scale of one to one to 10, you were like, you know, terrified to death. Like what was, what was that experience or that decision like for you to lead a group to do that? and then even anticipate mom and dad Hmm, wonder what they're gonna say here like what was your experience and your emotional um experience with all of this
2: um i think i've always been kind of an emotionally you know like level person um and one of one of the values that we that i was brought up on was faith and you know, I, I had a word, and I, and I believed that this is what I was supposed to do, and because it came from God, I knew that I was going to be protected. Like so yeah. the fear was a question in my mind. Um, it, was, it was honestly just like, what am I going to say to all these people who are mourning, who are grieving, who are, you know, hurting just as much as I'm hurting? Um, how do I give them some sort of comfort? How do I, you know, kind of move the conversation, move the needle? Because, I mean, everyone was shouting Black Lives Matter, but this wasn't new to our community, you know, mm-hmm. this wasn't something that was, you know, just sh- showing up on our radar. We, we've seen it. I've grown up on, I've grown up with it. You know, Trayvon Martin was what happened when I was in middle school. So mm-hmm. um, just knowing all of those things, um, it wasn't, there wasn't any fear that I felt like I needed to, to overcome um, because mm-hmm. I, like my dad said, when your truth outweighs your fear, you'll, you'll commit to a courageous life. And mm-hmm. my true was, I was going to be safe. My truth hmm. was, I have called you to do this. My truth was, you are protected, you are surrounded, you are secure.
1: As I went back and re-listened to this episode, I got goosebumps. We just tuned in to the experiences of a daughter's courage and a dad's faith in letting her lead a peaceful protest in the midst of real danger. We'll continue this powerful conversation in part two, but I want to bring out what they both said. When our truth, that is truth with a capital T, outweighs our fear, then we will commit to courageous acts. What resonated with you? Be assured that I read every comment from those who share their takeaways by filling out the form on the website, Better Relationships, Remember, next week we'll continue this conversation with John and Ashley in part two of how to amputate fear in parenting and family life. In the meantime, please share, subscribe, rate, and comment in the streaming platform of your choice. See you next time on Better Relationships, Better Life.